Welcome back to Industry Therapy. Like we discussed in our History of TIF podcast, TIF was started as a nonprofit foundation for TIA, and we continue to work closely with TIA to support them with various causes as it relates to education. Today, we're going to talk with Melissa Newman, who is the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for TIA, to learn more about some challenges our industry is facing with the Rip and Replace Initiative. Welcome to Telecommunications Industry Therapy, the podcast that discusses issues arising from the rapid advancement and deployment of telecommunications infrastructure. This podcast is provided by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. This podcast, as well as much more additional content, can be found at tiffonline.org. Please welcome your hosts, Michelle Kang and Scott Stecker. Thanks for being on the show, Melissa. My pleasure. Uh, Before you get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, I have been in the ICT industry for over 30 years, working both in the government at the FCC and in the private sector, um, both at an operator, um, law firm, and now at TIA, a trade association, Um, and uh, have dealt with numerous issues. over the last 30 years and the growth and development of our industry uh, from a policy, uh, mostly a federal policy perspective. Melissa, thanks for joining us today. So for those unfamiliar with the term rip and replace, what does that mean? What's the origins of it? Can you explain it a little bit to us? Yes. Um, So uh, a long, a while back ago, um, the government uh, recognized that there was certain equipment in our uh, nation's broadband uh, systems that uh, were owned by companies like Huawei and ZTE that have ties or may have ties to the Chinese government in ways that would present a national security threat to our country. And so they adopted this uh, program. Congress um, allocated money and the FCC is implementing it to rip out that particular equipment and replace it with equipment that is known to be trusted and secure. Uh, And TIA uh, early on worked with Congress to identify what the issues are with some of this equipment that is owned by Huawei and ZTE and how to put together an effective program where you could take it out, replace it with secure equipment, and still have a seamless transition uh, for telecommunications um, communications. But we also provided instances of where this equipment was and how many companies had it. There was no reason for them not to buy the equipment. We, we didn't understand at the time um, the situation with Huawei and ZTE. But as time evolved, we recognized that this could be a security threat to the United States. So how do we get this equipment out of there and replace it with trusted So so we're talking about possible spy equipment, international infrastructure. Is that right? You know, it could be many things. Um, The government has made a determination. They are on the entity list that this um, uh, equipment from Huawei and ZTE is not secure and what all that means. And, yes, that's part of it. There could be other aspects to it as well. But um, it is a government declaration, and therefore, what do you do once the government has made that determination? And so, how long? When did this get 
discovered? When when would it come about and are we close to being done with this? So it's an interesting situation. This was discovered, you know, I'm going to take a guess around, you know, 2016. I'm, don't hold me on that one. Okay. Um, and, and what the government did, what Congress did, it, 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 it allocated certain amount of money to be able to rip it and replace it. Because you're talking about companies that are small companies, some in rural America, that had very good economic reasons at the time to use Huawei and ZTE type equipment. So for them to be able to do this appropriately, they needed funding to be able to do it. The rub here is the amount of funding allocated was too small for the amount of equipment that needs to be taken out and replaced. And so the question is, and this is where we are now, I'm jumping to where we are now, is how do we get the additional funding? Right now, it's about 40 cents on the dollar. And that is a big gap for companies to be able to do it. But we're also under a timeline where they have to take this equipment out. So how do they effectively manage rightfully the costs of this? Um, You know, I don't think it's anyone's fault that it was underfunded. I don't think we realized maybe just how significant this was, but it's underfunded about three billion dollars. So we've been working um, with the operators and the rest of the industry to get this funded properly, which has to come from Congress. And so these small companies you mentioned in rural America, did they receive a letter saying, hey, you have equipment that needs to be ripped and replaced? And we may or may not help you with doing that? <laughs> so I don't – great question. I don't work for the operator, so I don't know what they did receive. But they are very well aware of what equipment they have. They know that it has to be taken out. And they are very aware that the amount of funding it's been publicized is not enough to make everybody whole. Um, and so they've been working with their trade associations – with TIA as well, certainly to try to convince Congress. And again, it's funny, Congress is interested in this program. This is not a lack of interest. They know it's in the national security um, to take this equipment out. It's just when something is underfunded, you have to find the vehicle, you know, other issues come to fore in front of Congress. So you've got to get their attention to be able to just, you know, get that $3 billion in some congressional action they're going to take. And Melissa, what is the deadline um, that everyone's working towards on having this equipment replaced? Uh, I believe the deadline actually is occurring now um, that they have to rip it out. Um, And then um, there's uh, timelines for replacement. But the question is, can they even replace it at 40 cents on the dollar? And where is that data coming from, Melissa? So it sounds like, you know, when this... um, law was passed, whoever was passing the law had this idea in mind about what it would take. And now you're saying that it's only 40 cents on the dollar of what it actually will take. So where is that data coming from? Yeah. So the FCC did a um, the FCC did a survey. I don't know that all the operators, (laughs) everything was identified correctly in that survey. So when the FCC redid it or went through things again, they legitimately found that it was underfunded. 
Um, I don't think anything was done untoward or anything. It was just it was something brand new. And so as people were assessing their situations, you know, maybe and I'm guessing at this, they didn't fully recognize, you know, what was there. So, through, you know, no fault of anyone's, but the, the information that came back to the FCC was not complete. So and- I'm a I'm a carrier operator. Right. And I was just mandated to rip my stuff. What are the repercussions of not being able to replace it? Uh you could either figure out how to find the money to replace it and God forbid you could go out of business. I, you know, which is what we're all, nobody wants that to happen. That's why there has been such a tremendous push on Congress to fully fund this program because you're talking about equipment that is in rural areas that it's already tough to serve those areas. Um, we know of equipment that may be in school, you know, school networks, because it was cheaper to buy. So why wouldn't you go with the cheaper option? Um, there's also been studies, I'm not an expert on this, that shows some of the equipment is nearby um, secure installations, government secure installations. So we want to get that equipment out of there. Yeah, you're making a good point, Lisa. Beyond beyond just the operators that this impacts uh, relative to their businesses, there's the whole broader user users of these networks that may very well not have service that they were relying on. Can you kind of talk about what the broader concerns are ultimately? Well, I look at the broader concerns more as wherever this equipment is, if it's near a DOD um, or, you know, a government, uh, some kind of government um building or something that deals with security issues, we, we don't want this equipment right next to that. I'm not saying DOD is using the equipment. I, I don't think they are. But the equipment could be located at a school, and the school could be, you know, two miles from a secure government location. You don't want this equipment that close to the secure government. You don't want this equipment at all, but you especially don't want it that close to a secure government location. And for the equipment that they're replacing it with, has there been some kind of new program to make sure that equipment coming in is secure? So so here's the good news. TIA's members are, are the vendor community, and they are secure and trusted vendor suppliers. Um, we're talking about, you know, equipment that has been designated by the government as a secure risk. You know, if it's not designated by the government, you know, we're not anti-country, we're not anti-anything. It's just the government has indicated certain equipment by certain companies as a security risk. There are plenty of other (laughs) suppliers and vendors, many of whom are our members, that provide secure and trusted networks, and there has never been any indication otherwise. So I I have no concerns about that whatsoever. And and I, I like the way the government has done this. It it's it's it it goes through a very intense and thorough process to designate a company on one of these entity lists. 
This is not something that's done willy-nilly or anything like that. So um, given the process, I feel confident that we have a good way of determining who is not secure. I gotcha. And so from the funded shorting issue, what's Congress doing today to to fix that, resolve that? We're having lots of conversations. <laughs> that is, um, we, we are still trying to find the vehicle to put in um, the funding request. Um, and um, like I said, in all the conversations we've had, people understand the importance of it. But, you know, it's a little bit like we dealt with this issue. And then they move on to other issues. So it's reminding Congress and everyone, you got to go back and look at this again, which is not, you know, something everybody loves to do. They, they want to move on to the next big thing. And there are a lot of next big things for Congress. But this is one where they do have to go back and look at it. So it is it is unfortunate it was underfunded, but we will continue to talk to Congress about this until it is fully funded. It is one of our top priorities. Are there general misunderstandings for that lawmakers have regarding this whole program or what we're trying to do here? I don't think so. I think there might be questions about why there was such a miss on the amount of funding needed. Um, but there, I think there is bipartisan and strong support about why whip and replace is needed. But we certainly have to explain and walk through what, what happened. And that's a fair question for them to ask. But I don't think there's a question that it is underfunded. I don't think people are saying, oh, you're you're hedging the numbers or anything like that. I think there is a recognition this has been underfunded. Thanks, Melissa, for taking the time today to help us learn about the current challenges with the Rip and Replace Initiative and what TA is working on to help Congress provide additional funding and assistance. For those of you interested in getting involved, please reach out to Melissa at TIAonline.org. Thank you for listening to Industry Therapy, presented by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. The information expressed herein are the opinions of the individuals. They are not meant to supersede standards or regulations that govern the reference subject matter. For additional TIP podcasts and other educational content, or to submit a potential topic for a future podcast, please visit our website, tiffonline.org.